0: Welcome to episode 83 of the Amanda Wagner podcast, the place for fiercely ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who want to get off the sidelines, build a legacy, and claim their spotlight. In this episode, we give a shout out to Don't Ask, Don't Get for a win and proof that asking works. We invite the incomparable Tanya Geisler onto our show To share the 12 lies of the imposter complex and how to fight them and we share what this means for being an imposter and being fiercely ambitious at the same time i'm amanda wagner speaker business
1: strategist and professional hype woman and i'm liz pittman a digital communications specialist the amanda wagner podcast is the place for ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders are
0: tired of looking at others and saying, why are they doing that and I'm not? And are ready instead to claim their own spotlight. On this podcast, we talk about the challenges and delights of being highly ambitious and how even though we're impatient and at times anxious, we can be intentional and make strategic decisions about how to get more of what we want in a noisy world. If you joined us for episode 80, you heard Liz and I talk about imposter complex in the tiniest micro way and why it took us four years to finally tackle an episode like this. Frankly, because we felt like imposters. So in this episode, we're gonna talk to the expert. In episode 80, I talk about some of the research and the work of Tanya Geisler, who is a leadership coach and speaker, who is an expert on the topic and helps all sorts of people from high-level executives and their teams to individuals who are here to light up the stage. And she is here with us. I could not be happier to have Tanya Geisler. And I want to start off by saying that I asked you to come on the show. We talk a lot about don't ask, don't get, and why we have to ask for more. So I'd love to hear from the recipient. What was it like to be on the other end of the ask? And what made you say yes?
2: It was one of the loveliest, most thoughtful um, mindful asks I've ever received. I mean, honestly, it was so exquisitely asked. Uh, and of course I was honored. I mean, I'm honored by every request and, you know, my personal philosophy is that you can say yes, you can say no, or you can make a counter offer. Right. So, there's nothing at stake when you make asks except for delighting the recipient, you know, who feels honored um, by the request. And it really was just, there are levels with which that ask really impacted me. And I can say, a tell me everything. Well, I had just done a podcast the day before, um, and we were talking about, hmm. I want to say this. We are talking about really shitty marketing advice and not even just shitty marketing advice, but also like just really generally uh, deflating advice. And I remember somebody saying to me, uh, I can't, I can't actually remember the total context of it, but there was something along the lines of, I feel so honored by the number of people who tell me that I have been on their vision board for years. I mean, what an honor, right? Like, you know, the vision board, the vision board with like the infinity pool mm-hmm. and the skydiving and the surfing and like into their like 80s and 90s or whatever, right? And I'm on there, like I'm on there. Uh, and I remember saying that to somebody um, and he was like, you, don't you just want to get paid? Mm-hmm. Like you want to sit on somebody's vision board for years? I'm like, Yep. Mm-hmm. Because that means that consistently, I am who I say I am. Consistently, I'm delivering the best of the best. uh, And I'm super here for it. So when you told me, and so actually that day when that that request came in, there was somebody else who hired me and said, I've been waiting to do this for seven years. And then your message came in and said that I've been on your mind since you heard me on that being boss podcast. Um, And I was like, well, Le voilà, there it is. And I would much rather be on somebody's heart for a period of time than just be like, I don't know. I think she's got all the answers. I think she's the silver bullet. It ain't that. It ain't that. So, yeah. This gives me goosebumps
0: because I am I'm so on board. I will say I want both. I said, I want to be on your vision board and oh. I want my name on your credit card statement. So I want both. When I first listened to the Being Boss episode in 2017, I was like, wow. This is magical. And even though in episode 80, we, we point to it, we link to the podcast. There's something about having you here and getting to have all my own. Yeah, but what about this? What about this? Yeah, Especially for people like Liz and I in our audience who, who are fiercely ambitious. We want it all. We want it now. Yeah. And yet we're terrified of being frauds. So, you listened to episode 80. Can you give us a starting point of like, where did we land? And then we're going to kick off into the 12 lies.
2: Well, you got it all wrong, (laughs) everything completely wrong. You botched it. (laughs) You like set us back by a millennia. Um, it was so beautiful, you know, it was so it was such a gorgeous conversation between two people who hold each other in such high regard. Uh, it was just really it was it was wonderful to experience, I, of course, felt deeply met by your acknowledgement of my work attribution for the win all the days. I really appreciate that. Uh, And, you know, I could just really see the way you were two, two were lifting each other up and also challenging each other. So it was really fun. It was really fun. But I thought you just, I loved the, the, the nuance that you brought in. I loved the different ways you were looking at the same thing that I've been staring at. And, you know, it's interesting, our sweet brains, God, I love our brains so much. One thing has been sort of working away at me since you introduced me. And that is you said that I'm the expert in the imposter complex. Alas, I'm not. I'm an expert. I'm one of the experts, as y'all are, too, right? Uh, I just happen to be talking about it for a period of time. Uh, And even Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, Right. Love their work with the Fire of a Thousand Suns. This work, this experience, of course, predates their naming of it, right? We know that this is part of our most foundational need to belong. Uh, and our part of our tribal need to survive. So there's all of that. But it was a really fun episode. i really, really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the rigor. And I also just really appreciated the heart. Uh, and I knew how valuable it was for your listeners.
0: Thank you so much for saying that. I, uh, I definitely hesitated. I'm like, do I send this to her? Do I not? And I know that my imposter hedged on that where I'm like, here's our completely mediocre, not very good podcast episode because I am the type of person who I would rather label something as really shitty and have you know it Mm -hmm. than think it's really good and have you go, oh, she's Mm -hmm. not that good. And that is my imposter, my fraud, loud and clear going, I must be faking it here. So this is what we're, what we're here to talk about. Now, will you give us the brief history lesson on why we call it imposter complex and not syndrome?
2: Yes, yes, yes. And by the way, I also know that impulse very well. These twelve lies that you're talking about, I actually sent them them to Pauline Clance because I was like, I needed my gold star. I needed my gold star from the foremother of this concept, right? Absolutely. Um, And it's interesting. um, I was on her radar because in my TEDx talk, I I mentioned their work. Again, attribution for the win, right? Um, And because of that experience. She's been very, very, very generous. I'm actually planning on going to see her in Atlanta in the next couple of months for a tea. Isn't that lovely? A tea with Pauline Clance. Um, So yeah, so I totally get that. So I was like, I wanted the gold stars too. So I absolutely appreciate that. And I just, again, I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. I love the framing that you offer it. Yes. Imposter complex. So as you named it, the imposter phenomenon is the term that uh, Suzanne Imes and Pauline Clance, named in 1978, they were working with high-functioning, high-achieving women at Oberlin College. And noticed this through line in this experience, which they called the imposter phenomenon. So somewhere along the line, it became known as the imposter syndrome. And though my SEO people are super fucking pissed that I don't use syndrome, because that'd be so much better for my SEO. Um, it is a not a clinical diagnosis. It is an experience, um, and I just think we want to be mindful of co-opting medical terms, particularly for those who are listening who have diagnosed syndromes. You know that you know. We start, once we start pathologizing all the things and co-opting medical terms, what's left? So words matter. I tend to use complex again. My SEO people not super happy and. It matters.
1: As a writer, I understand your SEO people's pain, but <sighs> I get where you're. I get where you're coming from.
2: <laughs> so we have this like one thing that we that uh, there's an article that we link to every single time I say imposter complex. Anytime I write it, they're like, okay, here's why she says imposter syndrome. Uh, yeah, so we 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 found our way, and it, it hasn't hurt my speaking too much. So as well. This is
0: outstanding. Now you're bringing us
2: the 12 lies. So these are lies or
0: a model that you have built to help us understand this phenomenon, the lies that the imposter tells us. Um, I want to start at number one, and I'm just making notes on the side here because I'm going to say, well, what about this, Tanya? And I'm going to share some of my own experience. Liz, please do the same. Kick us off, Tanya.
2: These lies are absolutely really one of the most foundational things. I think it's one of the first things you get to on my site and they really are a portal into a much bigger world understandably Um, because the way I see and the way I talk about the imposter complex I'll say this a little bit differently. Last time I spoke with a group of developers. They watched the way I talked about it and they're like, you have this whole beautiful mind way of seeing all of this. Don't you? And I'm like, yes, I absolutely do. So these lies are sort of like they're kind of a doorway in. And one of the other things that we can do is we can be super reductive. We hear one of these lies and you'll hear me say, for me, it is an aspect of the imposter complex. It's not the whole story. And, you know, so let's uh, let's name everything and let's bring everything, look at everything through the lens of both and, and all of this is simple, not easy. I also think it's super important that I acknowledge to you all that I'm talking about this through the lens of my lived experience as a white, neurotypical, able-bodied woman of middle-class means living in a North America, and that might not be everybody who's listening, that might not be their experience, right? So I think... I always talk about Stacey Jordan Shelton gave this to me many years ago. She's a dear friend of mine. We might be in the same shared space, not having the same shared experience. So though I'm talking about these lies, they may hit you a little bit differently. And like, let's, let's hold space for that as well. So lie number one, your self-doubt is proof of your inadequacy, right? Like your self-doubt is proof of your inadequacy. That's the imposter complex. will have you believe.
0: If I didn't doubt myself, then then I would be perfect. But because I have this doubt,
2: all of a sudden that's proof. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. So it creates this cognitive dissonance for us, right? And so the truth, of course, is that your self-doubt is proof of your humanity, not your inadequacy. That's just the truth of it. Um, and I feel like the more we can recognize that... The imposter complex shows up when we are at the precipice of our expansion, when we are on the precipice of doing something that is meaningful and that matters and that is important to us. That's when it's going to show up. So when it shows up, it's it's also it's saying this matters to you. So I talk about this all the time. I have a yoga practice. I don't need to be an expert in that. I don't need to even be very good at that. But where it's going to show up, it's going to be in the places that are really close to my heart and my teaching and my speaking and my coaching and my parenting. That's where it's going to show up because it really matters. And every time on the press, I'm on the precipice of something new, ding, ding, ding. That's where it's going to be.
0: Have you ever encountered people who say, Oh, I've never experienced this feeling.
2: Yes. And I say good for you. No. Um, a couple of different things. So, I had a quiz. I still have a quiz, but it doesn't have this option anymore. And the and the quiz was <laughs> one of the answers was basically, you don't need me. Like, move on. <laughs> you don't need me. You've got such a handle on this. So two things: when I go into when I would go into corporations. And I would notice who the people were that were saying they didn't experience it. They're like, yeah, I'm like, I don't need you, apparently. Um, usually they were, you know, white, neurotypical, able-bodied, cisgendered males, right? And they, they wouldn't experience it. So I would just say, listen, like, glad you're here. Welcome. This experience, if by the end of the next, like, 90 minutes, you still don't experience it all, at all, then just know that this is a very typical Common experience for people around you, on your team, in your families, in your homes, and you can create some more empathy and understanding, which I really think is what all this is about is bridging understanding. So have at it, sit back down, probably ask no questions because probably not a great time to center yourself because everybody else is experiencing it. Let me tell you. The other time that I will push back, oh, and by the way, usually they're like, yeah was one of those guys at the very beginning who said I didn't experience it but holy shit I had no idea that's what it was even called like I I didn't know that was a thing that's a thing of course so there's that so typically it's it's because they will say oh they don't have the same frame of understanding perhaps and or because it meets us at the precipice of our expansion my question is usually are you swinging out Are you swinging out? Are you moving into the next? Um, Because that's where it's going to show up. (sighs) Discernment alert. There have been a lot of really excellent and really important articles written lately about stop telling black women or women of the global majority that you have imposter complex or imposter syndrome. So that to me is a very different conversation. So if somebody says, I don't believe that I experience it, that will be my, are you swinging out? And if somebody else says, I I reject that I have imposter syndrome, that's a different conversation because there are ways in which the self-development industry as a $42 billion industry I on a shit ton of money, making sure that people feel like crap about themselves. That's a lot of money there. It's a lot like the diet industry. So I'm not here to tell people that that is what they are experiencing. Again, lots more context and nuance is required here. But when you show up to my door and say, I'm experiencing the imposter complex, I gotcha.
0: Lie number two, it,
2: it just knocks me down about 35 pegs. Hit me. Successful people don't experience this. So this is another way that we like to, it's really, it's, it's linked to one again, where there's this sort of generalized other experience, but it's for this very reason that you took people's temperature down, (laughs) Amanda and Liz, when you were talking about this, they're like, they're, they're naming it exactly exactly as I understand it thanks be right because they have we all carry projections we all put each other on these pedestals we're all doing it to each other and the wind we and it strips us of our hmm, the projections can strip us of our own sovereignty but when we hear people name this experience We feel such relief, right? There's not a single person that you don't admire as long as they're swinging out, as long as they have those really strong values of proficiency and excellence and integrity, they have experienced it. If they don't experience it right now in this hot second, it's likely because they are using one of the tools that we can get into as well. But that's not to say they don't experience it. They just have that faster recovery right? They flip the light switch on a lot faster.
0: See, knowing that we have an ambitious audience, and I am one of these people, hearing this, I go, I get the sigh of relief. And I also get the like, this means I'm doing something that counts. This is fucking good. It's almost like a temperature check there. There are times and Liz and I talked about this in our in our last episode where I'm like, I felt a little bit bored at work. Am I allowed to share that? Am I not? I'm bored because I'm not feeling that challenge. I'm not doing that thing. And so it's a trade-off. The boredom feels like shit. The imposter feels like shit. But at least if I'm experiencing the imposter, I'm feeling like shit and moving forward to something that I really care about.
2: That's right. That's right. 100%. It is absolutely some kind of a litmus test to let you know that this matters. And you're on the precipice of of something great, right? Like that's it. That feels great. You are all or nothing. You are all or nothing. Now this came up, I think a couple of times in the interview, your episode 80, I think it was, uh, that all or nothing experience. So it loves competence extremities. So John Lennon very famously said, part of me thinks that I'm a complete loser, and the other part of me thinks I'm God Almighty. And so it has us believe that we are only ever either a complete success or a raging failure. There is nothing in between. It is important and feels pertinent to name that when you look at those white supremacy characteristics those white supremacy culture characteristics that either or thinking is right there there's perfectionism I can't remember the order there's like perfectionism there is either or thinking right and so it is right there so the moment I find myself complete failure complete success, nothing in between, loser, God Almighty, right? I start getting really curious about the world that sits in between this or that and get really curious and ask that question. Really? Nothing in between?
0: We've used this language before because this was something I taught. I was taught in therapy. I am typically very all or nothing, very black and white. doesn't help that my wardrobe follows that. But I say I go to therapy to pay for the gray, I pay for somebody to help me understand this area in the middle. Because if it's all just black and white, we're in trouble. And so the, the explanation back to that is really to question that.
2: You know, I I, I use this little metaphor, like if you're, if you were at a dinner party, and you were sitting next to somebody who spoke with like, it's this or it's that, nothing in between. I mean, I'd find that fascinating. First of all, like, like, for the first couple of minutes, I find that really fascinating. Like, like, Tell me more. Tell me more about this world that you live in, where it's this or that or nothing else. And then I'd probably move. But if I actually wanted to engage, I would ask that question. Like, really? Like help me to understand that. Because that makes that makes no sense. And that's just not how we move. So just asking ourselves, like, is there absolutely nothing in between? Or you're you just or you don't want to have to tolerate it. That's different. Right? That's different. But we have to start getting a little more curious about our set points.
0: Number four,
2: you have nothing useful, original, or important to say. <sighs> Amanda Wagner. So when we believe this lie, we say nothing, right? We pass up opportunities, we hedge, we don't collaborate, we miss out on telling people the brilliant, brilliant, brilliant things that we are thinking. We wait 80 episodes to talk about a thing that is Deeply, deeply, deeply in our hearts and in our souls, right? Yes. We took three and a half years
0: to talk about something that people like lobbed us the ball. They said, why don't you talk about this? Will you talk about this? Share about your experience. I'm like, oh, no, but not me. Because one time I heard that lady on a podcast and she's an expert and I'm not. I don't, I don't deserve to say enough. We see this a lot with credentials too, with some of the people that I work with. They're like, well, I can say this once I get another degree, once I have another certificate, once I have more badges and pins on the wall. Okay, we can wait or we can say it. So even, I mean, there's something to be said for having an expert on imposter complex, say, Amanda Wagner, you have something useful to say. So if you could just say that one more time for us, I'll ask for that in writing later. <laughs>
2: listen let me just tell you straight up straight up some people are going to be delighted to hear from me on your podcast most people don't give a shit about whoever i am they want to hear all of this through the lens of your experience because your way is the way your way is the way and your people will be able to hear it your way i'm right about this Your way is the way. So listen, one time a client took me, this is very interesting, and I I don't, I'm not a great stander and liner. Let me just, let me just say that. And a client of mine for very specific reasons um, decided to take me to see Oprah when Oprah came to Toronto, which is where I am, many years ago, like maybe 10 years ago, my Lord, maybe 10 years ago. And I, you know, of course healthy, healthy, healthy love of Oprah. Um, and I was really excited to see who else was there on the, on, on the stage with her. It was Deepak Chopra. It was Ian Van Zandt. I mean, super excited to see them. I was there to see Oprah. I want I, Whatever they had to say, I just was listening to, through the lens of her lived experience, right? Because of her warmth, And the way she, um, she was just really quite remarkable to see in person. I I was, I was really, again, fan, not a super fan, but also a fan. Um, but just really struck by how warm and what a learner she was. And that's how I recognized I wanted to learn through her. So I couldn't actually hear Deepak Chopra. I couldn't, like, I couldn't, I couldn't. It didn't resonate with me the way hearing it through the lens of her experience and her sharing it her way. And that's what's happening here.
0: My audience knows this. Liz knows this very deeply. My goal is to be at the scale of Oprah. So the fact that you brought this up, yeah, thank you for that response. I have a post-it note on my desk from a woman named Carrie Nicholson, who I have tremendous respect for, who said, Amanda, there is room for two Oprahs. And I understand different background, different lived experience, all of those things. So it, that's why I intentionally use at the scale of Oprah. And so I'm hearing two things. Number one, I'm hearing you say, yeah, let's let's go get it. Number two, I'm hearing that you just compare me directly to Oprah. So checkbox, there's that. We, I, I happen to have these lies in front of me. So we're going to get to lie five and six, but I'm going to like, quickly interject with a story. I also saw Oprah speak live uh, in Edmonton a few years ago. And one of the coolest things was that she had been in Calgary the night before and the shoes that she was wearing had been horribly uncomfortable. She talked about them during her Calgary show where she was like, oh, you know, these heels just aren't doing it for me. So the next night she comes to Edmonton and she pulls up her dress and she says, I'm in running shoes tonight because my feet are horribly blistered. And this woman that we put on this pedestal is honest about the pain and the blisters in her feet. And what she did is she took her shoes and she said, the the shoes from the night before, she said, is there anybody in the audience who wears a women's 11? And she gave away her shoes to someone in the audience. And even just telling this story gives me goosebumps because it makes me go, this is just a human who's saying, these shoes don't fit me. You want them? And yet what I would do to jump from the bleachers and be like, I don't even care what size shoes I am. I want Oprah shoes. It's such a cool thing to to think of these people as as regular, normal humans. And that we want to hear the stories through through their lens and through their ideas. Now, take us into five and six because we need to
2: talk about what it means to share this or not. Five and six. You must not tell anyone about this. Okay, this is the imposter complex pays us hush money to make sure that we keep this to ourselves. One of the things I didn't tell you at the very beginning, the way I understand it, the imposter complex has three main objectives. It wants to keep you out of action. It wants to have you doubt your capacity and it wants to have you alone and isolated. These 12 lies are all colluding to make sure that these three objectives are handled. Okay, so line number five, don't tell anyone about this. This is a way in which it keeps you alone and isolated, just suffering in silence. Actually, your job is to name it. Your job is very much to do exactly what Amanda and Liz have done, which is to share and watch as connection and empathy grows. But everything is a contradiction. So, of course, line number six is you must tell everyone about this, right? You must tell everyone about this and make sure that everybody knows that you're a fraud, that you are the one who... they got it wrong right get out in front of it so with line number six this is particularly up for those of us who are people pleasers she nods to her she she points to herself um who right who wants to make sure that everybody feels met and seen. And and again, that bridge and connection is so important. So then how do we discern between when to name it and when to hold back? Because we don't want to create a vulnerability paradox, particularly f- for those of us who are in any kind of management role, right? We don't want to always be the very first person constantly undermining, right? Constantly diminishing. I actually think this is a place where Brene Brown is spot on. There are lots of places where I think her work is spot on, but this in particular is a really helpful framing for me when I'm in the question of naming it or maybe holding a little bit back. She says, don't puff up, don't shrink back, stand your sacred ground. Literally feel myself sitting differently in this moment right now, right? That sacred ground, I get it. I get it. So if you are somebody who has a proclivity to share and share widely, I invite you to ask yourself, why am I sharing? Am I looking to bridge connection? Am I looking for validation? Am I looking for something different? And then proceed accordingly.
0: I swear that you have not heard episode 82, because Liz and I just recorded it. The title is Why Am I Sharing? And we are digging into this because I read a beautiful article called Why Should Anyone Be Led By You? And it talks about the four qualities that make for an inspirational leader. And one of those qualities is selectively sharing weakness. Now they position it with a couple other qualities, as well as saying you don't want to share anything that would undermine your professionalism or that would be seen as a fatal flaw. But this idea of sharing, it's so scary and so important on a personal level. And I feel like this is, I mean, I'm just 100% soaking up some Tanya Geisler coaching for free under the guise of posting a podcast. (laughs) But I look at this sharing piece and asking myself, why am I sharing and is this a good enough reason? So we talked about self-disclosure with intended benefit and how we can benefit other people by sharing, but we can also benefit ourselves. And one isn't necessarily more valuable than the other. When people hear these lies, you must not tell anyone or you must tell everyone The next logical question is like, okay, okay, Tanya, but how much do I share? What's that line?
2: This is a, how long is a piece of string kind of question. I mean, can we just name it, name it that because we all have, so the person, I want to say it this way. We all have our own edges. So the person who is stuck in line number five, don't tell anyone about this, is likely not concurrently experiencing, I have to tell everyone about this. So that person who's experiencing line number six has a little more people pleasing going on and they are looking to get out in front and making sure that everybody is feeling a particular way. Okay. So it's, I think we typically know, we typically know for ourselves, and it's about finding our edge. I'm going to say this a tiny bit differently. So it's like, I'm kind of answering your question. I'm also kind of not answering your question. I do not struggle with asking for help. That is so easy for me. Help, 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 My edge is in doing my damn self. Okay. So it's a little like that, the two sides of the coin for me. So... So, I don't, so I have to actually grow that quality of autonomy and sovereignty. That's my edge to grow. And being able to say whatever is under the hood of the car of this business or all of the things that I'm doing, I wanna be able to understand it. That is my edge. So, I think for us, we all need to sort of self assess am I an undershare or an overshare without judgment? And then play with what would it mean? to pull back a little? What would it mean to go a little bit further? So it's not going to be the same answer for everyone, but I think we need to recognize what our natural set points are and how we can stretch ourselves a little bit more.
0: One example I want to share when it comes to, we have to tell the lot you must tell everyone about this. Many years ago, before I had a what I think a much healthier and better understanding of of weight and bodies and bodies changing. Uh, My changing body. Welcome to the puberty section of this podcast. I used to enter conversations with people I hadn't seen for a while with like, oh, so good to see you. I've gained 20 pounds. Not a big deal. I used to enter the room with that because it would feel better to me to name it than to have that person walk away and go, ooh, Wagner's really let herself go. Because to me, you're right, that that was controlling the narrative. If I admit that I've gained weight and I'm uncomfortable with it, then nothing that this other person could say could make me feel any worse. So I often think of imposter in terms of work and in terms of what my brain can do, but I also think of it in, in like social aspects.
2: yeah. And so, this is a place where, again, I get really kind of curious because I want to make sure that we don't label problems as problems unless we know that they're problems, right? So, do you have any, for you, is that a problem that you got out in front? Like, what did that give you? It gave you something. And was it, was it, hmm, did it feel good to get out in front of it?
0: It gave me safety. It gave me it it was the whatever this person thinks of me could not be any worse or any more hurtful than what I would say to myself. So it created safety. It served me in that moment. Would it serve me now? Probably not, because I think about
2: bodies and, and health a lot differently than I used to it fulfilled the need because this is one of the other ways we're going to gaslight ourselves and say like, I have to stop being a people pleaser. I have to stop getting out ahead of it. Well, if it's offering some safety, if it's offering a sense of belonging, is that such a bad thing? Right? So, so thank you for sharing that. And I know, and there might be people who are listening who are like, yeah, that was absolutely hurting. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. All I can do is hear you say, actually, it gave me something really important.
0: All right, Tanya, number seven. Oh, yeah. You're
2: not ready yet. No, you'll be ready one day, sweetheart. Apparently, the fucker calls a sweetheart and honey. You'll be ready one day, sugar lips, but that day's not today. When you lose the 10 pounds, why that matters, who the hell knows? When you get the next certification, when you get the reward, when you get those... 50 more hours, whatever it is, then you'll be ready to take the mic, say the thing, do the thing, all the things that matter. The reality, of course, is that everything you have done and created and sold and healed and survived and lived through got you to this very moment, this very time. The other thing is no one was ever fully ready for anything. You are ready enough.
0: I love that you just let that land. You are ready enough. Period. Complete statement. I'm believing this as you are talking, and I hope that our listeners are feeling that. I want to believe that somebody is listening in their car or on their walk and going, okay, I'm ready. Let's go do the biggest, scariest thing that scares the shit out of me right now because I am ready enough.
2: There's always room for 2.0, right? There's always room for the iterations. You're ready enough. Do the thing. Say the thing. Grab the mic. Fuck up. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And trust me when I tell you, I literally work with like NASA engineers and surgeons and <laughs> like, like lives are at stake sometimes. And still, there's room for error. It just is. line number eight you'll never be able to pull that off again right so you did something fantastic you did something amazing you did something big beautiful wonderful and now apparently the statute of limitations has run out on your ability to do more fabulous wonderful somethings right this is exactly what happened to the one hit wonder this is what happened with chumbawamba just couldn't do it couldn't do it didn't do it. Chose not to do it, right? So the truth, of course, is that as long as you continue to show up with that skill and will and talent, absolutely luck might be involved. Absolutely the stars were aligned. But if you tap out, not going to happen. We just know that. We just know that. We already know that. So let's move on.
0: Types of people that you're talking about, too, that experience this, right? Our high achievers are high functioning people. We don't want to be one hit wonders. To me, that that is like a worst case scenario to be a one-hit wonder. I don't want that.
2: So I have to swing more, swing faster, recover, and keep going. I feel like I'm doing like a bit of an interesting trinity right now. I've got like Brittany Brown mentioned. I feel like I heard Liz Gilbert talk about the wild success of Eat, Pray, Love, and then got herself into a space of saying you know, like, I'm never going to be able to top that. And I had people come back and quote me. And they're like, that's, I'm almost afraid of creating something so fantastic for fear that I will be a one hit wonder. So maybe I'll just hedge. You can't see my face. But it's like, what? Like, wait, what? We're, we're we're now quitting before we even start for fear that we won't because we we want to withhold our eat, pray, love, because we'll never be able to top eat, pray, love. What? Like that is so next level. I mean, again, love us, but I can't even with the withholding of like hoarding or good shit. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Just keep showing up. Yes, stars might be aligned, but you need to keep showing up to the table with that skill and will and talent and excellence. Nine, line number nine. It's just a matter of time before this all crumbles beneath you. So this is, once again, the imposter complex wants to keep us laying low, out of action. Right? Don't breathe. Don't breathe. It's all going to come crumbling down. So we stop swinging out. We stop doing the thing. We stay out of action exactly where it likes us to be. I saw you two pointing at each other. What's going on over there?
1: I feel this one. If Mm. I'm going to feel one of the 12 lies, this is the one that I feel because I look at... Others who are having a rough go or someone who has struggled. And I'm like, well, it's coming for me. It's coming for me Mm -hmm. because in my business, things have gone remarkably well. Mm -hmm. And it's been almost too easy that I think, well, this is, this has got to stop at some point, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's just the, you know, the other shoe's going to drop. I feel this. I try not to get stuck in it, but this is the lie of your 12 that jumps off the page mm. for me.
2: Mm. Big mm-hmm. time. And what happens when you allow yourself to challenge if the other shoe's going to drop? Like, like, if you just hold the possibility, the other shoe's not going to drop, then, then, then what becomes available to you?
1: Well, I just keep going. My business keeps growing. I do great work for more people, I'm able to help other people. And that feels wonderful if I'm able to ignore it. And I do ignore it a lot of the time. But sometimes it goes, hello, remember Mm -hmm. me, I'm that shoe that's dangling, I'm gonna drop.
0: I was so glad to hear you, to see your head nod, not because I want you to feel this way. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want the other shoe to drop. but Not but. And when we first had this conversation where we said, okay, we're gonna do it, we're gonna talk about imposter complex I had said to Liz but I feel like a fraud and she said oh I feel like a fraud all the time and I said okay prove it tell me the things that you feel like you're a fraud at and she was like well I can't think of any examples I was like okay well then we're not ready I'm still waiting for this list of why Liz feels like a fraud because if she had a list then it made my list feel okay okay Tanya you pointed at me when I said I want proof that you're a fraud
2: tell me about your point well, I remember you saying that in that episode. You're like, "Wait a minute, but, yeah. but Liz, how? Show me the receipts. Yes. Here it is. Here it is." So, and I just, you know, Liz, I, I really hold you with so much compassion in this. And what you said was like, when I actually think it through, I recognize that I need to keep doing my amazing work. The other thing too is you have had experiences in your life where you know, the shoe did fall, the shoe did rob, right? So I don't want to bypass that either. You have had a lived experience of that. And that's really tender. And that's really, I mean, I'm assuming you have, I believe you have. And I can see in your face that you have. So, you know, let's not jump over that either. Let's like acknowledge that lives here and also recognize that, you know, whatever your inner critic has belief about. You're going to continue to create and create mindfully, carefully, with integrity, and you're going to buffer whatever happens next. You just are. That's how you move. It's all going to be fine. I know. And now Liz (laughs) is like, you stop looking at me. You stop looking at me. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big one. It is a big one. So I invite people to consider, what if the other shoe isn't about to drop? Like what what becomes available then? Again, with lots of care. Ten, you can't trust the praise of others. Also up for us, people pleasers. This one reads
0: me like a book. I get so mad because they're being nice to me because they feel bad for me. They're praising me because they feel like I, I look sad that day. They're praising me because they know I'm desperate for validation. But they don't actually mean it. And it calls into question, how many compliments have I given that I didn't mean? So my, like, my brain is a cruel mistress
2: that just keeps spiraling. So pull me out, Tanya. How many compliments have you issued that you didn't mean?
0: that many. I'm a really complimentary person. I love to tell people when they're doing a great job. I love to. I'm the person that on the street will acknowledge, like, that's a great outfit. But yet I don't trust others because they don't they don't owe me anything. So why? But like, why would they be nice to me? So I can kind of logic myself through it. And yet here's the (laughs) Danya, you poor woman, you're like, this is the worst guest experience ever because I'm doing free therapy for these bitches. (laughs) Yet. So I give so many compliments. And, And what I say is I say, take the toast, which is imagine that you are a toaster, the bread goes in, I want you to internalize it. I want you to feel that compliment. I want you to feel that warm toastiness, butter melting, whatever, because we're so shitty at taking compliments. And i t- it's one of these good for you, not for me. Take my advice. I'm not using it because yet I still don't trust this praise and this validation.
2: For the five million time, I love us so much and bless our cotton socks. And all of that is true. There is a fair bit of, again, bless us, arrogance that shows up with the imposter complex, right? Why on God's green earth would we possibly like who has time to blow smoke up your butt? Nobody has time for that. Nobody has time for that. My words matter. Your words matter. So, you know, ongoing practice to be certain, but just dare to believe someone when they tells you how remarkable you truly are and then say the two words feared most by the imposter complex. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Take the toast. Yes. Yes. Take the toast. Take the toast. And why should I take your toast if you're not going to take my toast? What? Like, but my toast is buttery too. I I want you to have this toast. It is a gift. It is a gift of toast. Please, 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 please. One of the things I think we can. Oh, I have so much to say about this. I have so much to say about each of these lines. Of course, of course, of course. But this is such an interesting one too because, a lot of the time, you know, praise and criticism. Right, so much of what we receive, it might not fit, and sometimes we are given acknowledgments that are sort of like, Oh, ooh, ouch! She just sees how funny I am, she doesn't see my depth, or my brilliance, or my power. Right, so we can make up all sorts of stories about what people are reflecting back to us, these are all opportunities, but. We just have to get better and practiced at receiving and daring to believe people when they tell us how truly remarkable we are. Super, super, super quick story. Um, I was speaking at a conference of women engineers. So I'm like reading up on what engineers think. This is back in, I can't remember what it was, it doesn't matter. And I was reading open source magazine, as one does, and I was reading about a, a trans woman, who was talking about how when she's in the lab, um, after, you know, after session in the lab, they'll go out for dinner. She'll go with her lab mates. And she said, you know, I can trust these folks with my life. As a trans woman, I feel my life is threatened at any given turn. And I trust these people with my life. In the lab, when they tell me I've done a great job, I don't believe them. So I can trust them with my life, but not with praise. <sighs> There's your cognitive dissonance, right? So you're an excellent company. This is what we experience. And we need to just practice and practice daring to believe people when they tell us how remarkable we truly are. And then practice. Thank you.
0: Thank you is a huge one. I have to to practice that because I'm
2: so quick
0: to just pass it off or explain it. Oh, your hair looks instant. Oh, thanks. I washed it.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's on sale. I I wasn't really sure about the color, but uh, Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. 10. You're, you're gonna have to fake it till you make it fake it till you make it now i really appreciated your conversation about this particular one in episode 80 i i really appreciated liz your like your kind of your trickster move with it i thought that was really quite clever bottom line i have been doing this work for a really 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 long time and i'm telling you any single person that has used actually faking it faking it till they make it and sort of saying like i'm just gonna like i'm gonna like bullshit confidence my way into that room, they will never believe they earned walking into that room. It just in a long term way, it simply doesn't have that. It's sort of like, it's the house of cards built upon the house of cards. That's been my experience through and through. So my thing is I just say, can you embody what is real and true and authentic about what is actually going on for you? It's not quite as catchy. But it is the truth. The other perspective um, on my on hiatus podcast, Writing Enough with Tanya Geisler, uh, I spoke with Janelle Allen. And she was sharing about the very privileged perspective that fake it till you make it holds. If you think about who gets to fake it, who gets to walk into the room and just be like, and just pretend that you own this space, right? Who actually gets to do that? It's just worth worthy of pause. That's not my work. That's Janelle's work. Uh, And I thought that was really interesting. So embody what is real and true and authentic about your skills. You don't have to fake a thing. You just don't. Now, line number 12 sets us up beautifully
0: for something that we say here all the time and what What I believe so fiercely in. So tie this up in a
2: beautiful bow
0: for us, Tanya.
2: Yeah. Asking help is for the weak. Asking help is for suckers. Asking help, asking help, asking help, asking help. So, you know, when I sent these 12 lies to Pauline Clance and got my gold star, I got partial marks for this one. I didn't actually get my gold star got like deducted half a star. No, I'm kidding. Uh, she said, absolutely with you all the way through. This one is super challenging and is still my edge. Because back when she was doing her work with, with Suzanne in 1978, imagine the rampant misogyny and sexism that was happening inside academia in 1978. So at the height of her career... If you're a woman asking for help, that was a huge liability. So how amazing that we live in 2023, where we understand on a cognitive level, on an intellectual level, that asking help simply means that you are serious about your success. When we understand that your people want you to succeed, not everybody, not everybody, But your people do. And our job through and through and through is to find our people. A couple of years ago, a friend
0: of mine who is a a female business owner was asked to speak at a, a startup night, an event in a series that they called Fuck Up Night. And it was, We want you to come on stage and we want you to share with other people who may have less experience than you, be in a different industry the ways that you fucked up. And she was like, hell no, I will not do this. Not until the white straight software engineers of the room are willing to come out and tell me all the ways that they have fucked up. And so I think of this uh, asking for help, but also asserting some failure. I'm a like fail forward to succeed there. Both, both things can be true. I can fail and be successful. Hearing that explanation, your people do want you to succeed. It doesn't mean that you're immune, immune to failure. It doesn't mean you're immune from criticism. And i I've written notes as as we've been talking about this thing that I'm, I'm starring here is asking for help says I'm serious about success. <sighs> if as if there wasn't a, a better reason to ask, if you're serious about this, you are going to get every resource in the book. You are going to get every person on your team. And if they're the right people, they will be championing the shit out of you. Does everyone who talks to you feel like leave feeling like a million dollars? Like I can do anything right now.
2: I hope so. I mean, I hope so. And probably not. Some people are like. Oh, my Lord, if she mentions she's a Libra one more time and tells me about her North Node, South Node bullshit, out of here. Like, I have so many notes here. So one thing I want to ask you, this is a a very
0: selfish thing here. I love some validation. Love a gold star. Live for the gold star. Liz is laughing because she knows, like, just tell Amanda that she's doing a good job. That'll keep her going. Is that something... That people outgrow as they get a better sense of their imposter?
2: I mean, maybe. I'm not there yet, so how the hell do I know? Right? Sydney Poitier asked Oprah how he did. So I'm going to go with as long as you have gorgeous values. Of integrity proficiency and excellence you're always gonna to want to know how you did and it might be from somebody else and it might be your own rubrics or or metrics um, but I think that as long as we're doing the things that matter we're always going to be looking for some way of acknowledging that we've done a good job and if you're somebody though who doesn't believe people when they tell you you've done a great job you might want to create some more internal structures because until we've done that, it's still like water off a duck's back. Here's the thing. The ego wants to want more than it wants to get. So there is only one piece of truth that the imposter complex shows up with, right? There are these 12 lies, but there's one piece of truth too. There is room for more. There is room for improvement, which is great news, right? Right? Such good news because we're doing the things that we love to do, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. Otherwise, it wouldn't matter. So there's always this room and the ego wants to want more than it wants to get, which means that we will never, ever fully do enough in our own experience, which is why that idea of being ready enough must be sufficient. But we do need to create these internal structures for ourselves, particularly those who are people pleasers and who have a hard time receiving praise of others.
0: I am without speech.
2: This has been an absolute delight to call this the
0: world's best pep talk would completely undervalue what you do uh, and who you are and what you have brought to the table. and yet it still serves that function. Thank you so much for being here. I feel like Liz and I are both walking on sunshine here and I cannot wait to share this. Now, one thing that I I told you that we do with everyone and we are fans of asking in the spirit of don't ask, don't get, what can our audience do for you? Where do we find you? What do you want us to do and take, and ask us for something?
2: I would love for your folks to do the quiz over at my site, tanyageysler.com slash quiz. And here's why. Because the self-development space is so intent on gaslighting people and having them feel like shit about themselves, this is a different way of looking at those challenging parts or those parts that you have deemed as challenging, the perfectionism, the people-pleasing, the leaky boundaries, the diminishment. And it illustrates and illuminates something different. It shows the golden shadow that sits inside of that and it's far more aspirational to look at these iconic identities through that lens. So I would love for folks to do that and go experience that because all of these you know, all of these behaviors that we are conditioned with, they're also double binds and and going to procrastination actually exacerbates my sense of imposterhood. Um, Going to perfectionism actually exacerbates it. That's probably another whole conversation. But go check out the quiz. And then I'd love to know what people got as their results. This is fantastic. We will link to the quiz as well as
0: tanyageisler.com. You can find her easily online. Please take advantage of this. Have a look at that quiz. Tanya, what an exciting, enlightening conversation. Thank you for bringing your brilliance to the table, your openness. And frankly, to saying yes, I have a list of asks and I write down the things that I ask for and I gather some janky ass data that when you ask people say yes. So thank you for for not only this experience, but also for being being one of the yeses to prove that that asking for help works.
2: It was an exquisite ask what you're up to is phenomenal. I love the energy that you both bring. Um, I love what you're up to. And it was just a really easy yes for me. So thank you for, for asking.
0: We can be fiercely ambitious. We can want it all and want it now and still experience the imposter complex. And that is proof of our humanity. Ding, ding, ding. I was not kidding when I said Liz and I are walking on sunshine after talking to Tanya Geisler. What a force and what.
1: Oh, like I said, I'm just, I'm
0: out of words.
1: I just love the energy that she brought to this. It's a topic that is intimidating to cover, but she handles it in such a wonderful way that it felt less scary, you know?
0: Yeah. And for somebody who talks, what I love is that there was such a good balance of her expertise while she didn't feel the need to necessarily name her own imposter beyond saying, I experienced this too. I'm a people pleaser too. And in our last episode, we talked about how sharing runs the risk of losing credibility. And this episode, I feel like, just turns that all on its head and makes us go, no, no, our self doubt is proof of our humanity. We can ask for help, we can figure out our own kind of fences for what we share and what we don't. And if we're not feeling this, we're not swinging. That's what I'm taking home. Liz, what's one thing that you're taking home?
1: Two things. So one, your self-doubt is proof of your humanity. And this episode is proof that Don't Ask, Don't Get works.
0: Oh, shit. Isn't that amazing? I just can't wait to, to get more people on this podcast. I will tell you that there are at least two more people I have lined up that I did the holy shit, they said yes. So in the spirit of Don't Ask, Don't Get, I'm here with an Ask for our Audience We have guests lined up from now until July, but for the second half of the year, we wanna know who do you want to have on the podcast? Maybe it's a person you know, someone you've heard on another podcast or somewhere else, an author that you think has something really great to say that us ambitious folks need to hear more of. If you have somebody in mind that would make for a stellar podcast conversation, please let Liz and I know. You can send me a DM on Instagram at TheAmandaWagner or find us online at TheAmandaWagner.com.
1: And if you need someone in your corner to get your stories out into the world, whether that's writing on your website, that's your social media channels, you are thinking about putting together a podcast, I can help with all of those digital communication pieces. You can find my website, LizPittman.com, or send me a message on Instagram at Liz Well,
0: these last two episodes have made for an incredible month of podcasting. I am absolutely fired up to start swinging for the fences, that rut I talked about. I feel myself coming out of it. And I am ready to do some big things. I cannot wait to see what we dig into for our next couple of episodes.
1: We will be back in two weeks with our next episode. And as always, friends, we will see you on the internet. I feel like getting out of the rut and moving into spring, like I feel like those those have got to be linked, right? Like the changing of the seasons, sources of inspiration, you know? Like I feel like there's got to be a connection there somewhere.
0: Totally. I was out with friends for lunch last week, and we all had this blah feeling. I was like, how are you guys?
1: And they're like, meh
0: march like everyone was fucking miserable we were all bad company we're all like this is march this was bad